It's 12.08, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. A lot of stuff to talk about today. By the way, if you follow me at Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. You get a head start on some of the things that we are going to be discussing over the course of the program. And yes, this is now the longest government shutdown in history. We're going to talk about what the end game ultimately is and what it means for President Trump. That's going to be coming up a little bit later on in the program. I want to discuss... Uh, the latest move to try to make Wisconsin the 50th state out of 50 to criminalize first offense drunk driving. That's coming up as well, plus a number of local stories. So it all kind of plays out. But I, w- I want to start, I want to ease into the week. All right. For years and years, I have to admit, vanity, and it was nothing but vanity, stopped me from wearing like a beanie, like a ski cap. I, I just didn't do it. Because inevitably, you wear a beanie or a ski cap and you end up with hat head. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, your your, your hair kind of like matted down or whatever. My producer grew. You know what I'm talking about. You get hat head, right? Right. So for, for years and years, all right, vanity stopped me from doing that. Like when I was practicing law and all, I was kind of like, well, you know, if you've got to be in court that day, you come in, you know, your hair's all kind of matted. Somewhere along the line, I have traded in vanity for warmth. And so I... I I regularly now, when it is cold, I regularly wear like a beanie or a ski cap, and 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 I have a number. I have a Milwaukee Brewers one. That generally spe- thinking speaking, they are they are sports team themed. I have a Brewers one that I like. I have a Packers. I've got a couple Packers ones that I like. And for Christmas, my stepdaughter, thank you, Jenny, gave me a Marquette, you know, one. So I've been wearing I've been wearing that lately. So vanity out the window. I, I wear them. Now, I don't know, and it would be, I mean, having purchased a couple myself, and I don't know how much she paid for the Marquette one, but even even some of these athletically themed ones, like the Marquette ones and the Packers ones, they can't be more than $20. They, I mean, m- maybe I, I, you know, and if they're more than $20, it can't be much more than $20. So... I tend to be careful with them, but I put them in my coat pocket, and I have to confess from time to time over the years, I have lost the occasional ski cap because I've got it in my pocket, and it falls out, or you take it off, and, and you forget it. So that is that is the background on this. But those are the ski caps that I wear. Here, here I obviously, I am not wearing, well, there's not there's a certain type of ski cap that I do not wear. Um, Moncler, this is the way to describe it. I think I'm pronouncing that right. M-O-N-C-L-E-R. Moncler is a luxury winter wear brand. It's an Italian-owned company. It originally sold sleeping bags. They took its, na- took its name from an abbreviation of a, a, an alpine village near Grenoble, France. The brand rose to international fame when the French national downhill ski team wore the brand's outerwear at the Grenoble Winter Olympics in 1968 and has been popular ever since. All right, they sell these knit caps, beanies, ski caps, cost, and they come in a rainbow of colors. They are made of pure virgin wool and have a fox fur pom-pom adorning the top. The brand, the website, describes them as extremely soft, pure wool to tackle the most hostile urban temperatures, like sudden snowfall on a ski slope. All right, so it's these sound like these are nice hats, right? But but at the end of the day, they're beanies. Gru, who's producing the show today and always, would you like to guess how much they charge for this beanie, this ski cap? 
Gru says $80. All right, now you say $80. Would you think that that would be a ridiculous amount of money to pay for even a designer, even a designer beanie ski cap that um, comes in rainbow colors and is made of pure virgin wool with a fox fur pom-pom? He says it shouldn't be more than 40. Okay. Now, I would argue if you got 40 bucks to pay for this, that's God's way of telling you have too much money. But you say 80. No, you are wrong. They retail for $350. These ski caps cost $350. Now, why am I telling you this? Well, because there is a crisis that is breaking out in certain schools. Let me share with you a story from the New York Post. There is a middle school in Long Island, Great Neck North Middle School. And apparently these beanies are, now again, they're $350 a piece. They have become so popular that the administrators are asking parents to stop their kids from wearing these hats to class. Here's what they say. This is the letter that went out to the parents. We understand that fashion is very important to our middle schoolers. However, we have had many students who have worn their Montclair winter pom-pom hats. Those would be the ones that cost $350 to $360. We've had many instances of students who have worn their hats to school and either lost or misplaced them. We need your help. Please try and redirect your middle schooler from wearing these hats to school. It has consumed a great deal of our time trying to locate these missing hats, and it has been disruptive to the students' focus and time as well. So inevitably, what happens? You're talking about middle schoolers. So what, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth graders? They, they, they're wearing $350 beanies. They bring them to school. They lose them, and then either they or their parents freak out because they're wearing $350 beanies. And then the school teachers and the administrators have to turn stuff upside down, trying to figure out: Did you leave your hat on the bus? Where was this hat, etc.? To the point that they are begging the parents: Don't send the kids to school wearing these. All right. To me, that is not the issue. <laughs> All right. And this maybe again, this is a generational sort of thing. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is, to me, the larger issue. Who in God's green earth buys their 11- or 12-year-old kid a beanie that costs $350? I don't care if it's got a fox fur pom-pom and pure virgin wool. I mean, this this to me is like one of one of these examples of you, you want to talk about conspicuous consumption. Can you imagine going home to your mother or father and saying, hey, mom, dad, I, th- this is what I need. I need that three hundred and fifty dollar. Um, I need that three hundred fifty dollar uh, beanie. And can you imagine what your mother or father would have said? Our number is 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is one of these things where, candidly, the way I see this is, is first of all, the school's response should be, number one, we're not going to look for these things. If your kid loses it, I mean, don't bother calling us because we're not going to spend 15 seconds trying to you know, locate this. But secondly, the larger point is, Who buys their child 
something like this. This, to me, this problem is exclusively the parents. And I don't care how much money you have. 350 bucks for a ski cap? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is there any justification in the world for spending this kind of dough on this kind of thing for your kids? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1216, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. $350 for a hat. <laughs> 1219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, our Twitter, our tweet, um, our text line is just exploding. And you can, if you want to see a link to this, if you follow me, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I sent out a link to this. I'm, I'm not making it up. The, these, the, these hats, and they are ski caps, they're beanies, whatever you want to call them. They, they, they're, they're selling them for $350. And apparently this is the latest fashion statement. Parents are buying them for their middle school students to the point that these middle schools are sending out letters saying, for the love of God, stop doing this because the kids lose them and then everybody freaks out. Here is uh, Jeff having five kids. One thing I can always count on them doing every winter is losing hats and gloves. Anybody buying a middle school kid a hat like this is dumb. Same time, they should put a tracking device in them for that price. All right. Jeff, I lost my Albert the Alley Cat knit hat in third grade. For those of you who don't know, Albert the Alley Cat. Rude, you know who Albert the Alley Cat? You don't. Okay. Channel 6, back in the day. This is before we had professional meteorologists. Channel 6 had a guy, the, the weather guy was a guy named um, Ward Allen, and he did the weather with a puppet. Allen the Alley Cat was a puppet who did the weather with Ward Allen. And that's, <clears throat> in any event, a little bit of Milwaukee history there. I lost my Albert the Alley Cat knit hat in third grade, and Sister Wilma told me to be more responsible in the future, in the unlikely event that I should ever get another one. The whole experience tainted me for life. Michelle says, I simply have no sympathy for anybody dumb enough to spend that much on a hat. Well, there is an element for that. Bill says, Jeff, I sell knit hats in my business. The most anyone pays is about 25 bucks. Those people paying $350 for a hat are out of their minds. How do you say you ha- how does anybody get to have that much that much money? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, that's it. Here's another one. People have more money than brains. Well, that's kind of it. Uh Jeff, the parents buy the kids the beanies so they can um so they can go look at what I bought my kid. If you can't afford the kids to lose it, don't buy it. I guess, I mean, look, I'm never going to be the guy that tells people how to spend their money. I, I'm just not. I mean, if you got the money, I, I don't, okay, so there are people who want to take vacations or do whatever. All right, that, that that's fine. But you reach a certain point where it is just so excessive, so over the top, and such a first world problem that you give your child a beanie, you pay so much money for it that when the kid loses it, as they inevitably will, they'll lose scarves, they'll lose their hats, they'll lose their gloves, that when they lose it, it becomes you know a major sort of issue. So again, the way I think the school handles this is simply to say, we'd prefer you not to send your kids to school with $350 hats because they're easily lost, and if you are... Silly enough to make that decision that this is what your kid is going to get because your kid feels it necessary to keep up with the Joneses or make a fashion statement that that's fine. But when your kid loses it, don't call us asking us to spend any sort of energy trying to find it. Three hundred and fifty dollars for a beanie.
1223, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Twelve twenty-five, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, wonder why? Why is it I'm getting these texts and emails saying people like, "What's that brand of hat again?" I mean, is it like, okay, you didn't get it for Christmas, so you want to go out and drop three hundred and fifty bucks on a ski cap that's got the fancy little logo on the front of it? it well, it, it's they're called they're they're made by a company called Montclair, M O N C L E R, and if you if you Google it, you'll see the various hats that they have there. Well, you know, all right. So if you might, if you think, if you think three hundred fifty bucks is excessive for a a ski cap, what you can do is the parkas. The parkas are apparently a bargain. Parkas are only a thousand bucks. So for a thousand bucks, you can get a parka. Add an extra three hundred fifty bucks, you got the ski cap, and you are all set. All right, let us let us switch gears. The the flu. Last year was a particularly bad year for the flu. And one of the problems that they had is, see, they always guess at the beginning of the year as to what what the strain of the flu is going to be. And sometimes they get it right or they come closer to getting it right than others. And so last year, I, I think a lot of a lot of the flu that people developed was flu that wasn't covered by the flu shot that you could get. It was like a different strain of the flu. So, you know, lots of people got sick. And last year was a really, really bad year. This year is shaping up to be the same. The estimates are that between October 1st, which is kind of the unofficial start of the flu season, and about a week ago, they estimate that around 84,000 people ended up in the hospital, okay, ended up in the hospital. Now, that's that people who, who contracted the flu. That's people who caught the flu so badly that they ended up in the hospital. The last flu season had the most flu cases reported since 2009. The illness was considered severe across all age groups, and they estimate that nearly 80,000 people died in the United States as a result of the flu. Now, you, you got to be careful with this because it's not necessarily exclusively the flu, but it might be you have somebody with, with other sort of health issues or somebody, you know, with a compromised immunity system or somebody who's very old and you get the flu and that combined with, you know, everything else that you've been going on health wise, that that contributes and it's tough to say it's exclusively related to the flu, but it, it's something that ended up not helping. And again, they estimate that the number of hospitalizations very, very high this year, and we're you know only midway through the flu season at that. Now, the numbers are also kind of interesting. Last year, they estimate that about 37% of eligible Americans, and this excludes the people who have you know health conditions so that they can't get the flu shot, but of that universe of people who could get the flu shot. They estimate that only about 37% of the people did. The interesting thing is that was down about 6% from the year before. So more and more people making the conscious decision that they're not going to get the flu shot. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I have to admit that a number of years ago, up until... I want to say maybe about 10 years ago, 
I was one of those guys that, as a general rule, didn't bother getting the flu shot. Nah, you know, who, who cares? And then <clears throat> there was one of those years where it was a particularly bad strain of flu that was out there. And at the time, the company, this is back when Journal Broadcast Group owned us, they, they made a point of that they brought in nurses. They brought in, like, visiting nurses, and they gave you free flu shots. So I, I didn't have to go anywhere. All I had to do was, you know, walk three doors down, and, and I got the flu shot. And I started doing it, I want to say it was 10 years ago, maybe it was 15 years ago, but I started doing it, and I've never gotten the flu since then, and I've just made it a matter of course that that every year I typically go and get my annual physical in the fall, and as part of that, they say, have you had your flu shot yet? I say, no, I haven't. They end up giving me my flu shot. So I've made the decision to get one pretty much every year, I don't know, for the last 10 or 15 years, and that's certainly my intent moving forward. Yet I am in the minority. I mean, if you look at the numbers last year, 63% of our fellow citizens decided they didn't want to get the flu shot. And now you're looking at another year where it is, again, it's a particularly bad strain of flu. And I I think those numbers are probably going to be the same. So let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you get the flu shot? Why or why not? Have you gotten one this year? Why or why not? Do you plan on getting one? The experts say, unless you've got some major health problem, you should get it. And yet the majority of people don't. 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We are monitoring developments in the criminal prosecution in the Jamie Kloss case. The suspect, Jake Thomas Patterson, who is a piece of work, um, he scheduled to make a, a 3.30 appearance this afternoon in, in court. At that point in time, there will be a criminal complaint which will be filed against him. What's going to happen is uh, the, the, he'll be told the charges. Uh, there will be a date presumably set for a preliminary hearing. They will set bail. Um, I can't imagine this guy's going to get out. But there, they will also... At that point in time, if not before, release the criminal complaint, which is the charging document against him. And they anticipate he's going to be charged with two counts of of first-degree homicide and also with the the kidnapping. Uh, There will be – everybody says they expect it to be a relatively detailed criminal complaint. I don't know – I, I don't know what more details you could put in there but and, and whether it's going to shed any light on motive or whatever, but we are monitoring that. And, again, the court appearance is scheduled for 3.30. If the criminal complaint, and I'm trying to watch this, I'm trying to multitask, if the criminal complaint comes out before that during the course of my show, I'll try to give you a, a little bit of a heads up on, on what it says and what is uh, one of the most bizarre cases of, of the decade and I mean, as horrible as it was, it, it just it does have this feel good ending to it to an extent. I mean, I, I understand it's a double homicide, so don't get me wrong. But normally, when you have these children that go missing for that length of time, it almost never ends well, almost never. And this one, you know, she has in fact been recovered. All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm intrigued by the whole issue of, of flu shots. Um, like I said last year. of eligible people got it. That's down about 6% from the year before. It was a particularly, a particularly um, dangerous strain and difficult strain of flu last year. This year, a lot of people are already sick, and people are yet making the decision that they're not getting flu shots. Brian in Green Bay. Brian, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. 
you know, when I, I'm in the medical profession and we always got our flu shots. You know, you couldn't even work in a hospital without a flu shot. Right. And first people should understand that. If everybody in the hospital has a flu shot, then why aren't you? Mm-hmm. And there's also a segment of society that's um, poor that can't afford flu shots. And there should be a way to get to the underprivileged and get them flu shots. Right. Um, and lastly, the flu is typically an avian type of flu that changes every year, and the severity can change every year. This year seems to be an extremely um, virulent kind, right. and if you're not getting the flu shot, you have yourself to blame. Well, right. I mean, th- again, see, and, and there, I, look, I will tell you, I, I know some people who, who make the choice not to do it. They're, they're afraid of needles. Some people are, and, it, and to me, it's. I mean, the flu shot itself is. It's. I mean, it's like a pinch. I mean, it's. It's not a painful thing. I. I had one. They say at my annual physical last October. I. I have one on a regular basis. I've never had a reaction to it. And the truth is, I haven't. I haven't had the flu. Uh, let's see. Hi, Jeff. I worked in a school for thirty-eight years. I always got the flu shot. I retired three years ago. I just got one in October and plan on continuing to get one. It just makes sense to me. All right. Now here's the other. I have never gotten a flu shot. I'm thirty-eight. I have not had the flu since high school. All right, here's one from Kelly. She says, I got a flu shot for the first time this year, and we'll get every one every year from now. The reason I was horribly sick with the flu at this exact time last year, hopefully never again. All right, now here's another text. They say it's a scam. It's full of harmful chemicals that can harm the kids, etc., etc. Uh, Kim says, unless, God forbid, I get an immune attacking disease, I will never get this unnecessary vaccine. Yes, my children have been vaccinated against real diseases. I don't need one for the flu. All right, 414-799-1620. Bob in Oconomowoc. Hi, Bob. Jeff, good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. I don't have the flu yet. That's good. Well, well, that's a good thing. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Back in 2000 or 2008, my past employer promoted it where they had the flu shots right at work. Right. And I remember it was a Thursday afternoon, late in the afternoon, Within one hour, I started feeling sick. I went to work on Friday. I had 102 fever on Saturday. I was even sick into Monday and took a sick half a sick day on on Monday afternoon. It might have been a coincidence, but I think whatever they put into you um, kind of gave me the flu immediately, and I've never been so sick in my life. And even prior to that, I worked in the medical field, never had a flu shot, never got the flu. So you yeah, think you you, you think you while, had a reaction? To, to, you think well, either one or two things: either you were already sick before you got the shot, or you had a reaction to the shot. I I definitely had a reaction to the shot because two or three hours before that, I went for a walk, went for a jog, I felt great and everything else, and I I even said something to them, to one of the employees, "Man, I'm starting to feel sick," and mm-hmm. I thought, "Well, maybe it's in my head," but now when the fever says 102 and uh, it almost got close to me going into an urgent care or something like that, but I worked through it. But I'll never get one again unless I have to once I get to retirement age. Got it. Thanks for call. Appreciate four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Look, and, and there's no, I mean, there, there's no law that says you have to get a flu shot or something. I, I am in, I am intrigued because medical professionals will generally, I think, tell you that it's a good thing, it's a good thing to get un, unless. You're in one of that category of people that have reactions to these. I, I'm not, and so I just do it as a matter of routine. And and in my case, like I say, I, I haven't 
gotten the flu in the years since I, I've had it. Now, it is possible because, like I say, like last year, they flu shots have different degrees of effectiveness because there's all different strains of the flu that are out there. And in the beginning of the year, they try to guess what the strains are going to be. So last year, for example, there there were, in some cases, there were different strains of flu going around that the flu shot didn't protect you from. So that could be, oh, I got the flu shot and I got the flu. But, I mean, in general, I think medical professionals would tell you to go that way. 414-799-1620. Michelle in Cedarburg. Michelle, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Michelle. Yes, hello. Yes, hi. Um. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you um, for calling. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm a registered nurse. Um, I'm not practicing currently, but um, I just wanted to give a comment about the flu shot. Um, a lot of people, like the gentleman that just called in previous, um, have talked about, you know, having reactions to the flu shot. And I think we really need to listen to those, those stories because um, I think a lot of people are not aware uh, um, that people do have adverse reactions to vaccines. Um, there's mm-hmm. actually something called the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program that a lot of people don't know about, and that's something that normally their doctor might not share with them. Um, so basically, um, there's people that, you know, have been injured by vaccines, and they get compensated right. through this program. Um and just personally, our but, but that, of course, is the minority. I mean, that, that's that's I mean, that's the exception to the rule, right? Well, that's. That's what we'd like to think. <laughs> However, um, that doesn't seem to be the case. Um, studies are actually showing that only about 10% of, of vaccine injuries are actually reported um, because doctors, you know, they're basically told to tell the, the patients that it, it's a coincidence, you know, or that mm-hmm. couldn't possibly be the vaccine. So I think our, our whole society has kind of become conditioned to not question them, mm-hmm. you know, and their safety. But there is a program called the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program. Right. You know that actually does address these issues. So, so do you not get the flu shot yourself? No, our family does not, and we we do things naturally. We do um, elderberry syrup, you okay. know, plenty of rest, chicken soup. Um, we use herbal remedies, things like that. Okay, I, I'm hesitant to open up this particular can of worms, Michelle, but I, I I I'm going here. Do you get your kids vaccinated for other things like measles and mumps and polio and things like that? No, no, we don't. Okay, no. all right. In fact, um. You know, the the viewpoint is is that, um, well, we for religious reasons okay. we do not do yeah. those. Things. Okay, fair, no, th- thanks. For, fair, fair enough. I'm, I don't I don't want to expand this into you know we, we from time to time we talk about you know the the whole vaccination thing, but that's a somewhat different issue. Four one four seven nine nine. And in if you're a regular listener's program, you know that I I just I'm a big believer. I'm a big believer that kids should be vaccinated, especially for these childhood diseases, which have essentially been errat- were eradicated and now are, are making a, a return. The flu is, is a different sort of thing because unless – look, the reality is unless you've got a really compromised immune system or something like that, you're going to get the flu and you're going to be sick and you're maybe going to wish you were dead. But it's it's not going to kill most people um, that, that have it. So I, I view the flu shot as being more of a voluntary sort of thing. To me, uh, again, vaccinations, I, I think I think you should do it. 414-799-1620. Frank and Cudahy. Hi, Frank. You're on WTMJ. Hi. How you doing? Real well, thank you. Uh, you. Are you a flu shot guy? Yeah. Yeah. Um, my sister is a physician. Uh, excuse me. Hang on a second. I start from chronic dry mouth. Okay. Yeah. Um, I got the flu shot uh, about a month back. 
or you know, two months back. Um, and you know, I've gotten it and every year that I've gotten it. This is the first time I've ever gotten sick. Um, you know, but mm-hmm. they said it was sinus. Yeah, you know, sinus infection or uh, well, right, and it's not. I mean, thanks for calling. It's not a guarantee that that you're not that you're not going to get sick. I mean, it, it's not like this magic bullet. Um, but but I guess nevertheless, I mean, my just personal experience has been my doctor says get it. My doctors have always said get it. I've never had an adverse reaction to it, so I, I guess I continue to get it. Anne and Racine, Anne, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. So we are a family of seven. We have five children, and my husband and I and the kids get the flu vaccination every year. Um, A lot of common misconceptions about the flu vaccination. First of all, it's not meant to prevent the flu. And secondly, it's not for the stomach flu. It's for the upper respiratory flu, and it is meant to lessen the duration and the severity of the flu. So if you are someone who has gotten the flu shot, yet ended up with the flu that season, if you did not land in the hospital due to complications from that flu, you've got the flu shot to thank. Mm -hmm. Secondly, people that like to say that they got sick with the flu after getting the shot, it's impossible. The flu shot is not a live strain of the flu. It's impossible to catch the flu from the flu shot. Now, the nasal, the nasal flu mist, that used to be more popular, but now it was meant especially for children. But right, who, who freak out with shots, yeah. Yes. The American Academy of Pediatrics for the last several years has not been recommending the flu mist. It had, did not serve to be as effective, effective as they yeah. had hoped. But now with that nasal mist, that was a live strain, and you were warned not to be around very young children elderly or immunocompromised people because that mist was a live strain and the person who got the flu mist could shed the virus to those around them. The flu shot, not a live strain. You, right. you cannot get sick from the flu shot. <laughs> right. No, right. Thanks, thanks, thanks for calling. Again, I, I, I just... It's one of those things. It's up for individuals to. It's up for individuals to decide whether they want to do it. And there's a lot of, I, I think, arguments back and forth. And I understand there's a lot of people who just don't believe that putting a, a foreign body into your body, whether it's in vaccinations or flu shots or whatever, that that that's the a good thing to do. To me, my doc says do it. I, I've done it. I've never had this problem with it. But it is interesting, and I don't know what it says about the larger point, that you had a 6% drop from two years ago, between two years ago and last year, in the number of people who get the flu shots. Bottom line is, if you're thinking about it and you're not adverse to it, you still have time this year. 1248, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Twelve fifty one, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, I have a confession to make. Drew, mark the tape. I was wrong about something, and I see. I, I have no problem admitting when when I was wrong. I was wrong about something, and you know, I'm very very glad to say I was wrong about something. I have been going to Alpine Valley Music Theater since it opened in the late 1970s, all right? I mean, as somebody who grew up around here, that was one of the things you did. Um, Over the years, 
the Alpine Alpine Valley kind of it, it sort of fell into disfavor for a, a lot of reasons. The owners had various owners didn't put a lot of money in it, and the it's it's hard it's reasonably hard to get to, and it's very difficult to get out of. You know, after shows, they didn't put a lot of money into the facility, and so last year you essentially it, it was vacant. It was dark for a year. Now the years before that, for a couple of years, they had very very few shows. I mean, Jimmy Buffett would come every once in a while. You'd have uh, Dave Matthews that would come every once in a while, but it it would attract maybe three or four shows a year. And last year, they had none. They said, okay, we're going to just shut this down. We're going to do some improvements. I don't know if they've made what improvements they've made, but but Alpine Valley, it, it's back as a music venue. I mean, there's speculation today that The Who is coming to play with uh, with like a symphony orchestra, that, they're, that The Who is coming to play in addition to that. Um, they've got, you know, Jimmy Buffett, who is coming back. Number of other shows are booked for Alpine Valley for this season. Now, Hootie and the Blowfish are going to be playing there. So it, it does appear that at least for the, the time being, you know, they're, they're back and they're going to be running not necessarily a show every weekend type of thing, but they're going to be running a series of shows. And that, candidly, I didn't see that coming. And yet that is precisely what has happened? Um, people are back in 2019. Jimmy Buffett, Fish is coming back. Hootie and the Blowfish again. You know, a limited, very, very limited schedule last year, but nothing the year before that. But now, you know, it appears that they're on their way back, and I, I hope. I think it's great. Hope it continues to be great as well. All right. It appears that they're on the verge of making the criminal complaint public in the Jamie Claus case. Let's take a very quick break. Back with more in just a minute. It's 1253. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Twelve fifty seven, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Yeah, Alpine Valley had a very limited I think there was what two shows or something like that, maybe three last year. They're they're back with much, a much more aggressive schedule this year after being completely closed two years ago. I, I think it's uh, I think it's just great. It's something that's again more entertainment choices around here. And I have to admit I was wrong. I thought when they fully closed down two years ago, you, you wouldn't see them, you know, being able to get some of the acts that they've gotten and it looks like they're on track to on track to make a resurgence and i think that's great for the area and i think it's great for people who enjoy music entertainment and like going to shows all right coming up in the two o'clock hour of the program uh the shutdown goes on there appears to be no end in sight one of the things that is emerging though is a belief that uh the, the president who in kind of off-the-cuff remarks said that he, he was willing to own the shutdown. Well, he's starting to own the shutdown, if you believe the polls. Is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? A uh, guy who is a Milwaukee alderman who wants to be the mayor creating all sorts of controversy in his neighborhood by putting up a giant McMansion on a piece of property that clearly doesn't fit it. It wouldn't be a big deal, except this is the same alderman who said no to various developers over the years for wanting to build arguably more more appropriate locations in Bayview. We're going to talk about that. And we're number 50. Wisconsin is the only state in the country that does not criminalize first offense drunk driving. You would think this would be a no-brainer, but it's an uphill battle. We're going to talk about all that during the 1 o'clock hour of the show. Don't go anywhere. 1258, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
108, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. They have released the criminal complaint against the guy who kidnapped Jamie Kloss and murdered her parents. The, the text, I mean, the, the charges, I think everybody knew what the charges were going to be. Two counts of first-degree intentional homicide and then the, the kidnapping. So far, the, the text of the complaint hasn't come out. I'm going to, as soon as that does, and I'm trying to multitask and monitor it, as soon as it does, I'll, I'll bring you the details if there are more details. Keep in mind, a criminal complaint is a charging document. Um, whether sometimes they're extremely detailed, sometimes they're just sort of bare bones. Once I get a chance to see the whole text of it, I, I will share that with you. All right. I understand that every talk show host in America is discussing this, and I, I do feel compelled to, to weigh in, although th- there's not a lot of news on this. We are now, with the current partial government shutdown, this is the longest government shutdown in American history. It now dates back. It's been going on longer than the previous longest one, which was when Newt Gingrich and Republicans controlled Congress and Bill Clinton was the president. This was back in 95 and 96. Everybody knows, you know, the the basis for this. The, the, The sticking point is... $5 billion in spending for border security, particularly to build a a wall or a fence or whatever you want to call it. There doesn't appear to be any disagreement on the part of either Democrats or Republicans about funding levels. And this is what distinguishes this shutdown from, I I think, all the other shutdowns. I mean, normally it's over philosophies about we're spending too much or we're not spending enough or give us more money or whatever. This This is, I think, a situation where everybody pretty much agrees, all right, these are the spending levels for these government agencies. It's solely about taking $5 billion and using it to build, again, a fence, a wall, or whatever. So it's become larger than the, the, the issue is now larger than the government shutdown itself. And as we have talked about before, this is one where both both sides have become intransigent. The president, going back to when he ran for office, this was one of his big talking points. We're going to build a wall around along the U.S. border, and we're going to have Mexico pay for it. I mean, remember, remember all that? Well, all right, for the first two years, he hasn't been able to get that, and you have a number of his supporters who are saying, you know, hey, th- this is what we were promised. You know, this is, figuratively speaking, the hill you have to die on. On the other hand, you have Democrats, many of whom, by the way, have voted as part of border security in the past for for fencing, for a wall, whatever you, you want to call it. But now they're in a position where they think they are winning this, so they don't want to give President Trump any money to build his wall, his fence, etc., because, you know, they've got the people who are, a lot of their backers are the, the anti-Trump folks, and they're part of the resistance, and we can't give President Trump anything. So you've got both sides that are just dug in. President Trump has to have money to build the wall, and the Democrats who aren't going to give him, even though I think intellectually there's a lot of them who wouldn't have a problem with i I don't know if it's five billion but wouldn't have him a problem with giving him some money for additional fencing or whatever because i mean they voted for that in the past and i think most of us believe that uh, obviously some permanent type of structure not along the entire 
border between, for example, the United States and Mexico. But, but I mean, there are parts where, I mean, some physical barriers perhaps make sense. I mean, that that's just the reality. But neither side appears willing to capitulate. Neither side is willing to uh, to agree to anything. There doesn't appear to be a compromise. And meanwhile, you have the government that is shut down. Now, it's only a partial shutdown, but there's 800,000 federal employees who are either furloughed or working without pay. Now, they're all going to get back pay at some point in time, but right now there's a lot of stuff which isn't getting done. There's a lot of applications, grant applications that people might put in for that isn't getting done. There are certain types of inspections on food that isn't getting done. You've got TSA and aviation workers who are working, but they're not getting paid. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I understand when I say this, I, I I get it that hardcore folks on both sides of this issue I irritate and I apologize in advance for that. But this shutdown to me makes no sense. This is something this is really one where you you wish that there were grown ups on both sides of this issue. This is one where there's really an easy compromise that, that's out there. It's all right, you know, as part of border security kick in some money, and if President Trump wants to build some of his wall with that, let him build some of his wall with that, and then in exchange for that, you reopen the the government. And I understand that reasonable people can disagree about whether we need a wall or not, but here, isn't the important thing to get the government open, and isn't there a compromise that's out there? Maybe it's not $5 billion. Maybe it's a billion dollars. I don't know, but I just think it is ridiculous that we have come to this point. And whenever you hear people talk about the dysfunction that is in Washington, this clearly shows that we have a system right now that is just completely, totally, and hopelessly broken. And this is the best example of this. We're not having a government shutdown right now that is based on principle or anything else. It's purely, all right, who's got the most political clout and neither side can give in because both sides lose face. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Your reaction to the ongoing shutdown and how does this end? And that's honest to goodness. That's one of the things people were asking me over the weekend. Jeff, how do you, how does this end? And I will tell you, I have talked to a number of my friends in Washington, D.C., and everybody's throwing up their hands. Nobody sees the end game here right now because neither side is willing to compromise. 414-799-1620. Let's start with David in Wapan. David, you're on WTMJ. Hi, uh, good afternoon. I have two points, uh, neither of which either party would put in place right now. But when this is finally resolved, however it is resolved, it's a shame that you almost have a million people who work for the federal government that aren't getting a paycheck. But those that are in charge of remedying this issue continue to get paid the politicians in Washington. So anytime there's a government shutdown, the first people that don't get their compensation are the politicians, and there's no catch-up pay for them. Right. Secondly... Any time that the government cannot come to an agreement that we're in a stalemate, I think it should go to binding arbitration. What that would force the parties to do, when it goes to binding arbitration, the arbitrator can only pick one of two, either pay a dollar for the wall or $5 billion for the wall. 
it forces both sides to some level of compromise. Those are my comments. No, thank, thanks. Well, we, we got to come up with something. I mean, I, I will, I'll, I'll tell you that this whole mess, and it, it goes back 30 or 40 years, but the, 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 the whole idea, I, I think it's, I think it is absurd that we operate from, from crisis to crisis, that we don't have budgets. I mean, only the federal government does something like that. In your home, in your life, you've got a budget, and, and you've got to figure out, you know, how much money can I spend? How much money do I have coming in? It, you can't just roll from crisis to crisis to crisis on this. There's got to be a, a better way. And, I mean, look, here, here's the issue. I understand, and depending on, on how you, you view this, what prism you view it, that's, that's who is at fault. You can say the Democrats refuse to compromise because President Trump says, all right, you know, I, I need money for this wall, and Nancy Pelosi says we're not going to give you a dime for the wall. All right, so I, I understand. They are intransigent. President Trump says, all right, you know, and, unless I get my $5 billion for the wall, he, and I, I'm not going to agree to do anything. So he's dug in. My guess is you could give him money with the understanding it wouldn't be used for the wall, and he wouldn't take it because he's got to have the wall. That's the the whole symbol that's there. And so we've got this now this this game of of political chicken. And the truth of the matter is, average people start to get hurt. The federal employees who are going at least short term without paychecks, and also all the other people who depend on the federal government who have grant apps applications in who have applications that need to be processed and they're not getting processed 414-799-1620 I just and I will tell you something I'm throwing up my hands because I don't I don't see either side giving in President Trump his approval ratings hugely underwater but I think he's afraid that if he blinks if he gives in then he's going to completely and totally lose his base which is the only thing keeping him around 35 36 37 percent in approval rating meanwhile the democrats say hey lots more people are blaming trump than blame us here let, let's just keep going we are winning the public relations battle something that was probably predictable given everything that's going on i, I just don't see either side blinking i i don't and I, I wish i had a better answer jeff in milwaukee jeff you're on wtmj Hi, Jeff. Hi, am I on? You're on the air. Hi. Um, I, I guess I have to disagree with you that um, what you seem to be uh, touting is somehow a, a compromise. I mean, you'd have folks just say, okay, let's give in to Trump. And, I mean, let's look at what Trump has done. Trump has lied repeatedly okay but i, I want to talk about the wall backed off on one that's what i'm talking about okay he has lied repeatedly um in aid of trying to prevail on the american people and he's not prevailing on the american people all he's doing is pandering to his base he lies about okay but don't you think the democrats are pandering to their base i mean don't you think no, they're pandering I don't think they are because well, well how do you explain is, okay well how do you explain trump, if you give in to trump if you give in to Trump, you have given in to what is childish, dishonest behavior. How do you explain so, then? No, okay, I'm sorry. Well, if you're not going to, not going to listen, Jeff, we're going to have to move on. How do you? I mean, look. If you don't think that the Nancy Pelosi's of the world are pandering to their base, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but I just I don't buy into that. I mean, here is the reality. There are a large number of Democrats who are still in Congress who voted for 
I don't think they called it a wall. They called it fencing. Who voted for physical restraints, you know, as, as soon as 10 years ago. I mean, and, and when you think about it, that makes sense. I, do I think you need a wall that runs through the entire length of the U.S.-Mexico border? No, I don't. I've been saying that for a couple years. At the same time, you know, physical impediments in certain areas do, in fact, Makes sense. We have fencing at different parts. And, and so and many Democrats voted for that. So th- this idea that, well, now we can't give you one dime for any more additional fencing. That's ridiculous. I mean, that's dumb. Um, I, I'm sorry. It, it just is because that's part of overall border security. Do I think you need a wall along the entire uh, U.S.-Mexico border to guarantee security? No, I, I've never believed that. But I, I do think that there is there's an easy compromise that is out there. You give him some of the money he wants, but not all of it. But you can't do that because then the far left, the the resistance, they're going to go nuts because, you okay, well, you're giving Trump a, a victory here. Let's talk to Lewis on the south side. Lewis, you're on WTMJ. Well, I guess to start out with, I want to congratulate Glenn Grossman. He's the only congressman I know so far that has submitted a letter saying, I will withhold uh, withhold my uh, pay until this is resolved and we're back to work. Yeah, and by um, the way, I'm, I'm hoping to have Glenn on tomorrow to talk about an, a number of things, including that. So, But, yeah, okay. Okay, and, and the Democrats are out in, in Puerto Rico having a great time. Um, Trump has caved in. The original estimate was at $25 billion. He only wants $25 million. He offered them 1.5 uh, million people to get uh, uh, a right of, uh, well, to get, uh, right. not what you call it. Uh, the, the okay. Right, the, right uh, a path to citizenship or, Just you know, whatever. Right. Sure, yep. And they shut him down on that completely. There's been a lot of give by Trump. Um, so they need to get back to work, but they need to work, period. They need to get their bucks in there and uh, not get paid until they do. Um, and, and the Democrats, really, what have they offered in compromise? I, I'm befuddled. I, I'm trying to be honest and fair about this, but where is it? Well, right, and there, there, no, when it comes to a wall, Lewis, you're right. There, I mean, there is no the, – the Democrats – Nancy Pelosi made it very clear – I'm not going to give you a dime for the wall. I think she might have been one of the ones that back in 2006 didn't vote, did in fact vote for some of, of the fencing and the and, and things like that. Well, now now she's not. Why? Not because I think she believes in her heart of hearts that there's no there's no role for a a fence or a wall or whatever you call, want to call it as part of border security. But now because I can't give in my my side. We'll see that as blinking. We can't give President Trump anything he wants. And by the way, his approval ratings are in the mid-30s. So, you know, we're going to win this. This, I don't know where you go. And I, I tell you, I just, it's no way to run a railroad. It is very, very frustrating. And I think it's going to be continuing. It's 123, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Uh, the man charged with double homicide and kidnapping in connection, Jake Thomas Patterson, he's scheduled to appear in court 3.30 this afternoon. In advance of that, the, uh, that the criminal complaint, which is the charging document, has, has just been released. It's about 12 pages long, and it, it contains 
a lot of the details of the allegations against him. There's a number of different sources out here. here here's the way the Journal Sentinel sort of summarizes it. Um, apparently, what, what happened was, after Jamie Kloss was found, in a very short time, the car driven by Patterson was pulled over by Douglas County Sheriff's deputies, and apparently, um, as soon as as soon as he was pulled over, he said, "I know what this is about. I I did it." Um, he apparently gave a lengthy statement. He worked at this cheese factory for two days before quitting. On the morning of the second day, he says he stopped behind a school bus on US 8 where he watched Jamie get on the bus. He said that the moment he saw her, um, he had no idea of who she was, nor did he know who lived at the house or how many people lived there, but he said he knew that that was the girl he was going to take. And so this isn't, I mean, there was speculation that maybe there was some contact on social media or whatever. This is this psycho who's driving down the road and sees a girl get on a school bus and immediately decide, this is who I'm going to take. He said he went to the home twice before he ended up kidnapping her. Multiple cars in the driveway scared him off the first time. People walking around the house the second time made he made him wait. Um, let's see. He said before he went to the home on the, the evening where there was the abduction, he told investigators he drove a few miles before he stopped to steal license plates from a car parked at a residence. He removed the light from the trunk of his car, as well as what he described as a glow-in-the-dark kidnapping cord, so no one could pull the trunk release once inside. Uh, Jamie Kloss told authorities that on October 15th, the night she was abducted, she was asleep in her bedroom, woke up early in the morning to the sound of the dog barking. She got up to see why the dog was barking and noticed the vehicle coming up the driveway. She woke her parents up, and her father went to the door to see what was going on. They saw a man standing at the door with a gun. She and her mother then retreated, hid in the bathroom. And this is all because this psychopath sees this girl getting on a school bus. So anyhow, they retreat to the bathroom. They heard a gunshot, at which point in time the mother used her cell phone to call 911. The gunshot was presumably the, the, the murder of her father. Um, Patterson broke down the bathroom door, told the mother to hang up the phone. Patterson told the mother to put tape over the daughter's mouth. She did. Then Patterson shot the mother. He taped her hands, her ankles together. He dragged her from the house, put her in the trunk of his car. It goes on and on and on. Uh, apparently what he did is he kept her confined under under his bed in that cabin of horrors, would hide her under the bed, made it clear that nobody was to know she was there or bad things would happen to her. Um, When he would leave the place, he apparently would, would barricade her under the bed, weights and bins and things like that. And apparently the day that, that she escaped, he told her that he would be gone for five or six hours. She used that as the opportunity to push stuff away from under the bed, put on a pair of his shoes, walked out of the house, and went towards a woman she found walking the, the dog. Uh, she says that the first time she saw him was the night he abducted her. You know, you you just you listen to the stuff, and, and this is it's just it, it's a horror show, just an absolute horror show. You can imagine what this poor girl, you know, went through. In addition to you know the the, the death of a parents, I I understand 
and we have talked about this over all the years I've done a radio show here. You know, we, we, we've talked about Wisconsin as being one of those states that does not have a death penalty. I, I challenge you, read this criminal complaint and see what this psychopath did and, and how he did it and the premeditated fa- force that he used. And I think I, I challenge almost anybody to explain to me why the death penalty would not be appropriate in a case like this if the state can prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he did what the criminal complaint alleges he did. Just an absolute, absolute horror show. And again, the 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 very, very small, there, there's nothing good that comes out of a case like this, but for the fact that they were able to recover this girl alive, which is nothing short of miraculous once you you know start to see all the planning and, and what this psychopath did in the first place. In any event, he appears in court later on this afternoon. 141, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we come back, there's a Milwaukee alderman who's creating a controversy with his choice of housing. Is the complaint against him fair? Stick around. It's 143, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, Journal Sentinel, Dan Bice, Mary Spacuza has this story. It's snarky perhaps unnecessarily snarky, but it does raise this interesting point. Tony Zelensky is a Milwaukee alderman. He is also an announced candidate for mayor. Now, over the years, Zelensky, who represents Bayview, has been very aggressive in trying to respond to his constituents when viewing plans for new buildings, for example, condo developments or stores or whatever, to make sure they are consistent with the, the neighborhood. Um, you know, he was upset with an apartment development that was there. He said, oh, it's, it's too high. Uh, and so he, and as a, as a practical matter, even though the Common Council decides in total on, on zoning changes and things like that, the local alderman gets a lot of weight. If the local alderman says no, most aldermen aren't going to buck him or her on that because, you know, the, the thinking is, well, okay, the guy that or gal that represents a particular aldermanic district, they know what's important to their constituents more than the rest of the city does. So Zelensky has been very aggressive in the past about trying to keep Bayview, Bayview. You know, we, we don't want large apartment structures or anything like that, which is what sort of makes this story interesting. Uh, Tony Zelensky and his wife buy this this house back in 2017 it's a 1921 two-story five-bedroom colonial at this address on superior street they buy it for 330 grand they decide we're not going to we we there's all sorts of issues with this house we're going to tear it down so they they take it down they raise it r-a-z-e they take it down right away and they decide, okay, we're going to build, you know, we're going to build a house on, on this spot. Now, you, you look at the photographs of this and you look at the aerial views, and this is, it's a pretty, I mean, it's a pretty typical, you know, Bayview residential area, you know, and, and it would be like a five-bedroom colonial, okay, you could kind of see it. Well, what they are building is this three-story, it's described in the paper as a three-story modernist mansion. I don't know if I would use the word mansion. When I think of mansion, I think of the places that like Chris Abley was living in on, on Lake Drive and stuff like that. But, but mansion is a loaded term. But there's no question. This is a big old house. It's three story. It is extremely modernistic. 
um, almost 6,000 square feet, 40 foot tall, um, sits on a eighth acre lot. It's squeezed into a neighborhood full of, again, bungalows and colonials. So this thing, there's no question. It's this McMansion that's dumped in what would be your sort of typical typical block in Bayview. Uh, according to the local newspaper, there appears to be no more than eight feet between his house and the home immediately to the south of it. I mean, so it's it's crammed into this postage stamped size kind of lot. And it, it clearly, well, it, it doesn't match the architecture of the rest of of the block. When finished, the house will feature floor-to-ceiling windows on the front side, clear view of Lake Michigan across from Bayview Park. The garage appears to be nearly as big as many of the surrounding homes. So, I mean, it looks like it's a nice home, but it's also a home that doesn't fit in in that particular neighborhood. Now, I'm kind of surprised because in a lot of communities, for example, when I used to live in Whitefish Bay, that one of the ways they regulated the, the size of houses was there was a ratio of space. The, the house, the footprint of the house could only be a certain percentage of the, the, the overall footprint. You know, so you had to have front yards and backyards and things like that. I I don't know if they don't have an ordinance like that in Bayview because it looks like to me that this, I mean, this house is appears to be like most of of the property. But but regardless, he, he's putting it he's putting it up there. He, when he's questioned by the local newspaper, says, "Well, I don't have anything to say about this. Where my wife and I live is a personal matter, and the neighbors are kind of looking at this and saying." This is really out of place here. It's huge. It it's ugly. It's crammed in. It is completely inappropriate for the area. And like I say, a lot of people are saying, plus, isn't this the guy who's been fighting other people when they wanted to put up apartment buildings or whatever that we thought were too high and didn't fit in? All right. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, here's my question. The alderman who wants to be mayor is saying, look, this is none of anybody's business. If I want to build a giant McMansion and I want to sandwich it in in this neighborhood and I can afford to pay for it, it's nobody's business but mine. These neighbors, well, uh, they cannot like it, but that's too bad. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should anybody care? what this alderman wants to do with his own property, even if he's clearly building a house which is dramatically out of place for the neighborhood that he is building it in. But he's spending his money on it. 414-799-1620. Should anybody care? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. I'll also give you my take in just a minute. 149, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 152, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, 414-799-1620. Tony Zielinski, who wants to be mayor, he's building this giant McMansion that he's, scram- he's scramming into this, and the, the local newspaper has, has pictures of this. It's this uh, 40-foot-high, multiple-story, very, very modernistic thing that's going into this block on kind of a postage stamp size lot. It's going to be within a couple feet of, of the neighbors. It, it clearly... 
is out of place in the particular block that he is putting it in, which are you know typical bungalows and small colonials. Um, he says it's nobody's business what I, I do with this. I guess I'm going to start it off. I, I have two thoughts. Number one, I, I want to be consistent. I, I think if you buy property, I think you should have you know a right to do what you want with it. That being said, number one, the hypocrisy of Tony Zelensky is screaming that here is a guy who has sort of made a cottage industry of saying to other people, developers or whatever, no, you can't build in Bayview because this is inappropriate for the area. I'm not going to go along with zoning things. So so here you have a guy who's clearly putting something that does not fit in in the area after having told all sorts of other people, I'm going to use my power to say no. So, I mean, do I think he should have a right to do it? I guess he does. There is that screaming hypocrisy. Secondly, I can't believe that Bayview doesn't have ordinances and rules and regulations which would stop you from putting something like this up in that particular area, whether it's height limitations or whether it's ratio of house to available land to, you know, how far, you know, space that you have to have between the homes. I guess it's stunning to me that you could put something like this, which is so obviously inappropriate for the particular block up. I, I And I, I, I assume that if, if that wasn't the case, there would be people that would be, you know, trying to block it. But but it's just amazing to me that you don't have all sorts of ordinances that would prohibit somebody from doing something like this in this particular area. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Sandy in Milwaukee. Sandy, you're on WTMJ. Oh, well, I was just telling your screener, actually, the people of the area should not be too upset because if he's going to build a mini mansion in the neighborhood, then all of their properties will be mini mansions. It'll raise their property value and not decrease it. And if you remember, because you lived in Whitefish Bay, some years back you had exactly the same problem. Someone took a home, I believe they did raise it, Mm -hmm. and they built a home that was totally inappropriate for the neighborhood. It was too big, it was too everything. But it went through. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess, I, I mean, thanks. To, I, I remember in, in Whitefish Bay, there were actually, as I recall, there were three homes, and and there was a huge battle. But th- there were all sorts of restrictions as to, you know, what you had to do to try to, to make it blend in. And in all three of those cases, you know, what you did is you – see, see, I got to understand, I have no problem just – because houses are old, for example, doesn't mean that they are historic. And I can certainly understand somebody buys a home that's built in 1921, and you, you reach a certain point where the, the home is functionally obsolete. You, you, what you have to do, it, there's just between you know what you would have to put into the house to try to really make it modern, livable, isn't worth it. So I've always defended the right of people to raise houses, R-A-Z-E, you know, to tear down the houses. And I, I guess I don't have a problem with that. It's just this is one of the most dramatic instances I have ever seen of building a house which is way too big, in my opinion, for the place that, that it's on, way too big. And, of course, the architecture doesn't fit. Now, as to, you know, suggesting that it's going to enhance the value of all the other houses, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, certainly the houses on, on both sides of this, 
I, I, you know, who wants to live next to this type of thing? So, I mean, I guess the idea is if you want to have, you know, sell your house, have it torn down and have somebody else come in that wants to build a house like this, maybe. But if somebody just wants to live in that block, nobody's going to want to live next door to this. I, I don't think. Let's talk to Matt in Oak Creek. Hi, Matt. You're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I am well, thank you. What do you think? I, I think this is just another, like, textbook, like, political politician example of the do as i say not as i do mentality you know i'm going to tell you how to live your life and how to do things and i'm going to make decisions you know that affect you but when it comes to me on the exact same issue how dare you say anything about what i'm attempting to do and you need to mind your own business i mean if he's going to go and do something like this i think from here on out anytime he goes to you know approve or deny any type of you know permits or whatever other people are trying to get all they're going to have to do is raise their hand and go ah but sir what what about your home and that would eliminate any argument he may be making because he's clearly not going to have a a like to stand on regarding this for any future decisions. Well, my guess is, Matt, th- thanks for calling. My guess is this marks the end of Tony Zielinski's career as an alderman. I, I think that this this particular project has pretty much ended his political career. Now, maybe I'm going to be proven to be wrong, but my sense is this is such a hot potato, and there's such a degree of it. Again, it's the screaming hypocrisy that, that's out there. No, I'm going to fight some developer that wants to put up an apartment building because the apartment building is too large or, or whatever, uh, because, oh, just the, these tall buildings don't fit into Bayview. I don't think so. Okay, here's a couple texts. I live in Bayview, and it's a monstrosity. Um, I'm happy as blank that I don't live next door to that. Hypocrisy is right. Does he have a right? Yes, I guess so, but it looks ridiculous. I'm also with you. I can't believe we don't have an ordinance that would stop something, you know, like this. And again, that's the, I just can't believe that you can, you know, that you can build something like this without having the, you know, with, without having some sort of restrictions. And, you know, a number of people are, are, you know, questioning, well, how can you build something like this on an alderman's salary? Well, he's also a lawyer. I don't, I don't want to get into that route, but I do, I look at this and I think, wow, here's another text. Does Bayview have no zoning committee? My God, when I did an addition on my house in Western Waukesha County and wanted to put up a very tasteful New England style barn complete with metal roof and attractive lighting, the town zoning committee scrutinized the plan with a toothbrush. I, I do. I mean, I, I, I'm assuming that there's no restriction on this, but that's the real thing that, you know, it, it should be looking at how can you put something like this up in this particular area in the first place? 159, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 207, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, so the government shutdown drags on. I mean, here, here is the reality. We, we talked about this a little bit in the last hour. President Trump has made the wall a physical barrier, a a cornerstone of his campaign promises. He said, okay, this, and he's equating that with national security. Lots of people are skeptical about that. But, I mean, I, I think clearly, you know, a physical barrier has a role in, in protecting the border. Is it the be-all, end-all? No. But it doesn't matter. President Trump, th- this was a signature campaign thing that he's been unable to deliver on for the last two years. And so now... His his base, his hardcore supporters, 
he doesn't feel that he can back down at all on a version of the wall. So he's dug in. Then, of course, you've got Nancy Pelosi, who is now taken over the House of Representatives. She's she's got all these, you know, hardcore socialists slash leftists who've been elected. They can't stand Donald Trump. You know, impeach President Trump, impeach the blank, you know, all this type of stuff. And and they don't want to give in at all. And there's a lot of Democrats that even though 10 years ago, they voted for as part of overall border security, they voted for fencing. So, I mean, they they understand that it has a role. But, you know, Nancy Pelosi is now saying, no, I'm not going to give you a dime, not not a dime. I'm never going to give you a dime for a wall. And so now both sides are are dug in. They're in their corners and, and nobody knows how this all turns out all right well here's here's the politics of this and and this is what i want to discuss with you president trump has never really done well in polls i mean that's that's just the reality all the polling before his before the 2016 race showed that Hillary Clinton was going to win and probably win easily. The pollsters got it wrong. That's that's just the reality. Uh, and there's also no question that President Trump has had a, a rocky time with the mainstream media and the Democrat opposition. And you can argue whether it's fair or unfair. Don't want to get into that discussion. But his poll numbers have always been pretty much below water. By that, I mean little below 50% approval ratings. He didn't get the honeymoon that most new presidents get. And you, you can argue why that is. Is it his fault? Is it the media's fault? That doesn't matter. It's just the reality of that. Well, his, his poll numbers are starting to push historic lows. Now, keep in mind, we're starting to move into the next presidential season. I understand we just got done with the midterm elections, but... People are already announcing runs for president, and by by this time next year, you're certainly going to have you know front runners that are emerging. All right, well, I, I've been watching the polls, and I understand there's some people who don't believe polls, and, and that's fine. But when you see a sort of consistency, it, it's tough to necessarily ignore them. One of the polls that has been traditionally very friendly to President Trump, or more friendly than some of the others, is the Rasmussen poll. That They have like a rolling three-day average. His approval rating in Rasmussen is down to 43%. 43% approve, 55% disagree. So he, he's underwater by disapprove. He's underwater by 12 points. Last week, CNN comes out with a poll, 37% approve, 57% disapprove. Um, the average, and if you go to, there's a there's a website, it's called Real Clear Politics, and they're an aggregator. What they do is they, they take and they monitor a lot of the, a lot of the polls that are out there. And, you know, the, his poll numbers, average of the last six or seven polls, and I, I understand you can be skeptical of this, but, but they're all starting to show the same thing. And that is that he's, he's badly underwater. The average of the last six polls that have been done show he's got an approval rating of 42% and a disapproval rating of 55%. So 13 points. And, and, and you can quibble. Maybe the CNN poll is right, and it's it's actually twenty point difference between approval and disapproval. Maybe Rasmussen is right, and it's nine or it's twelve points. Maybe there's something other. Maybe it's it's not that much. But he's in trouble in the polls with pretty much everybody but his base. 
and there doesn't appear to be any end in the government uh, shutdown. You've got the Mueller thing that is out there. You've got the New York Times running stories suggesting the FBI investigated the president to determine whether or not he was a Russian agent. And the almost I, I, unprecedented thing in American history where you have the president today at a press conference or in a media availability saying, I was not an agent for the Russian government. Now, the president of the United States saying, I was not an agent for the Russian government. Not that the president of the United States should be expected to be an agent, but he's now having to make these sort of denials. It is, I guess, from an overall perspective of, I don't know, drama and everything else, if it's not a mess, it'll it'll do till the mess gets here. So here, here's what I want to talk about. I don't want to talk about the ongoing shutdown and how that resolves itself, because honestly, I don't think anybody knows. But, but here is my discussion. President way behind in the polls. It has been that way for a while, and there doesn't appear to be any sign of it letting, letting up. Moreover, more and more people appear to be coming entrenched in their opinion of the president. And I will tell you, if you go into an election season and you've got a 37% approval rating, you're looking at a landslide electoral loss. So let's open up the phone lines. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is my question. Is there any chance that the president can turn around these poll numbers over the course of the next year? And does it matter? Should anybody care about that? Should Republicans care about it? Can he turn around the poll numbers? And if he doesn't, is it something that maybe he should cause him to consider whether or not he runs for a second term? 414-799-1620. What is the political future of Donald Trump over the course of the next year and a half? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I know publicly he says he doesn't care about polls, but privately, how can you ignore this? We discuss in just a moment. It's 214. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Can the president turn this around? Um, do the polls maybe misrepresent? Do you believe these numbers are just all screwed up? All right. And if he can't, where do we go from here? 214. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. Two seventeen, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, all the poll numbers for the president are are pretty much abysmal. Even poll numbers where the polls that showed that he'd been doing okay, they're they're now down. He, he's underwater on average by about twelve or thirteen points. Approval ratings in the low forties, disapproval ratings in the mid fifties. Not the best thing moving into an election campaign. Do you believe him? Does it matter? Should this influence some of his decisions? And if the numbers don't turn around, does it change what he does? Sam says, uh, okay, here, here's one of the notes I get. It says, um, I can disapprove of the job he's doing, but still plan to vote for him in 2020. That's what Mike and Appleton says. There is an element of that. I, I mean, I think one of the things that people just didn't perceive in the 2016 election was how much people did not like Hillary Clinton. And I, I mean, I understand she won the popular vote, but I mean, you know, in, in states like Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania, just people didn't like her. And it's true that if the Democrats nominate somebody who is completely and totally unpalatable to the election, I mean, you know, no, nominate uh, somebody who's an avowed socialist, for example, all right, maybe that would cause people to swing back to President Trump. 
But but Trump is a known commodity now, much more so than he was two years ago. 414-799-1620. Scott in Cedarburg. Scott, good afternoon. How you doing, Jeff? Real well, thank you. Can Trump still win? I think yes, because I think the big flyer out there is that there's way too many people that won't admit to anybody that they're voting for Trump. And they don't even want to say it's the pollers coming out of the polls because you mention his name and you automatically invoke a fight sometimes with people when you talk about him. Right. Do you – okay, so when, when you hear these numbers, okay, his approval rating 42 percent, disapproval rating 55 percent, do you just – you just think those numbers are wrong? All these polls are getting it wrong like they got it wrong in 2016? I think that has a big piece of it because all you heard through the whole election process was he'll never make it through the primaries, that right. he'll never be Hillary, and that's all you heard is he can't win, he can't win, and look where he is now. Um, so going forward, I, I just don't know that there's enough honesty factor in the polling to right. to get an accurate view. and. I don't know. I I just think he really does stand a chance, especially when you look at elections across the country with how evenly divided this country is in all elections. I think yeah. enough Republicans will come out just to keep the Democrats out of office. Well, I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, that that's why, I mean, and I, I said this last week, and I continue to stand by it. I know that there's some on the left who think that any if, if Donald Trump runs again, to think that anybody can beat him, and that's wrong. I mean, I, I think if you... If you if the Democrats make the decision to nominate some uber leftist that, you know, there's going to be enough people, even if they find President Trump to be distasteful and don't like all the drama, they're they're not willing to to take this country down that that path of socialized medicine and 70 percent marginal tax rates and all those different types of things. I I think that 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 is a potential as well, because I continue to believe we we are essentially a center right or arguably maybe center left leaning country. But but we're we're not ready at that point. So, I mean, I, I guess I think it's it's possible at the same time. It's tough to look at polling data that says you're, you know, you're polling around 40% or 42% and, and not say that there are some issues out there. As I have said before, I think one of the big concerns with the president is, as a student of history, unlike like a Ronald Reagan, who was narrowly elected in 1980, but who expanded his base dramatically over the first, over the first few years of his term, I, I don't see President Trump expanding his base. If anything, it, it's kind of narrowing. And the truth of the matter is 35 or 38 percent. That's not enough to get you elected. But I do understand the silent majority issue. 414-799-1620. Jim in Plymouth. Jim, good afternoon. Yeah, hi. Thanks for talking with me. Yes, sir. Yeah, I don't believe the polling or the numbers mean anything at all. To, don't mean anything to me because I've never told the truth on a poll in my life. And I never will. And I don't think Donald Trump cares. He, he He's done what he's told us he's going to do. And I think people, when they vote the next election, will understand that, what he says he's going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they like that. Do you think there's any chance that he decides he, he's not going to run? That he just declares victory, says, I've accomplished what I've accomplished. Now I'm going to, I don't need this aggravation. I'm going to go play golf or do whatever. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I didn't think he really wanted to be president in 16. He just thought it was kind of a good thing, though. I'll run. And then he won. Right. And so he could not run. I could see that. Yeah, I, I mean, thanks. I, I, I understand that, that there, there's people that are going to think you and I are kind of on the fringe of that. But 
I, I let's take away all the, the the political yelling and stuff. And I, I try to I always try to put myself in, in the position of other people. And I'm thinking, okay, if I'm Donald Trump, but I'm seventy something years old, and I mean, there's a story in the New York Times, and it, it's probably right. Trump confronts the prospect of nonstop political war for survival, and, and there's not going to be any question about that. That the next two years are going to be ugly. You've got the Democrats that control the House of Representatives, and it's going to be one thing after another, one set of subpoenas after another, you're going to be in a constant state of, of battle. Now, I understand on the one hand, I think President Trump thrives in that. He, he loves that kind of give and take. At the same time, it's got to wear on you at a certain point in time. And so I kind of wonder, thinking, all right, if I was, what would he be then, 75, and I've got all the money I need in the world, and I, you know, I can just, who needs that aggravation? I do wonder if you reach a certain point where you say, I, you know, I'm just going to declare victory. I've accomplished what I said I was going to accomplish and go home. I, I don't think, do I think that uh, on the one hand, his ego lets him do that? No. On the other hand, I don't know that I think it's beyond the realm of possibility. Peg in Beaver Dam. Peg, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Thanks Hi, for Peg. taking my call. I, I would tend to agree with you. You know, he may have announced that, uh, said he would, you know, run again, but I quite frankly don't think he will. Um, that's my take on it. Tell me why. I think that he is. I, I guess I really, you're right. I think about the age issue. Um, I think, you know, if you're 75 years old, this has turned out to be a much harder job than what he anticipated. You know, he thought he was going to go in there and swing himself around and, you know, get all this stuff done. And, you know, now there are some people fighting back and saying, you know, we don't agree with you. I, he's lied to the American people repeatedly mm-hmm. about anything from, you know, <laughs> A to Z. I, he's just a flat out liar. And I don't believe a word he says. I don't think that he wants to take on the mess of running again. I really don't. I think he's building the wall because he wants to be able to say that he did it, and he's playing to his base, and I think it's all about his ego at this point, and he wants to go out on a high note that he built the wall. And I really think that that's what this whole argument thing is about, and I understand why the Democrats are saying, not a nickel. I mean, you know, um, I would like to see this resolved, uh, quite frankly. I do believe that... uh, Barriers make sense in certain yeah. areas, repairs, uh, technology in particular, additional staffing. Those things I fully support. But the, the point of giving him the wall is really more about his ego and the fact that he wants to be able to I did this. I got you the wall. And I... You know, no, I, and I don't, and, and Peg, and I don't, and see, Peg, thanks for God, and I don't disagree with anything you said. Now, the flip side is, I, again, I think now for Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats in the House, it, it, it's the same sort of, it is the same sort of sentiment. Because, like I say, a lot of them voted for the wall. I mean, back in two thousand six, a lot of them voted for it, and I, I think almost any reasonable person would say, okay, physical barriers, wall, fence, whatever you want to call it, that has a role in a security sort of thing. So, I mean, I think you're right. Both sides are dug in. Donald Trump needs this because he's promised his base that he wants it. The other side doesn't want to give him anything because they don't want to let him have anything that could be perceived as a win. I I, I don't know how that all turns out, but I do... Look, I mean, here's the bottom line. I, I understand the polls got it really wrong in 2016 and, and before that as well. I mean, if you believed, if you believe the polls, Ron Johnson wouldn't have won the first time he ran and he wouldn't have won the second time he ran. And now you have Ron Johnson, who continues to be the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin. So I, I am skeptical, but at the same time, I, I'm, I, I also, I like to think of myself as not being ignorant. And you look at these numbers and you say, this is trouble and you wonder, is everybody just so totally 
dug in on the president, just kind of like what happened with Scott Walker in November. The, the truth is, everybody had an opinion on Scott Walker. I mean, that that was just the re- Everybody had an opinion on him. And this last election, you finally had got to a point where a, a lot of, at least some of the Walker hardcore support, uh, supporters didn't show up, a little bit of Walker fatigue. And people were so outraged at Donald Trump that they came to the polls in record numbers to vote against anybody who had an R after their name. You just, you just kind of wonder if that's where we are in American politics on a national level. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Mark in Heartland. Hi, Mark. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for Great. calling. One, one of your callers, like two callers, that lady made sense. Well, maybe that uh, Donald Trump is, will just become to such an age, and we can see that he's a high-strung individual, and that he may just be so frustrated that he yeah. won't run again. However, I don't think the polling has anything to do with that. And if you look at what he's tried to do, and he is haphazard, and obviously he is not a polished politician. You can see that now his first two years, by the way, he goes about things. But every virtual campaign promise that he's made, he's either accomplished or he is attempting, as we speak, to accomplish. I think he's haphazard. He's high-strung. I think the fact that he's so high-strung may stop him a year and a half from now from actually running mm-hmm. for president again. But the man is trying to carry out his his promises to the people that he was elected on so would you vote for him again i would okay i would and just because of the fact that with all his flaws and he has flaws <laughs> the guy seriously likes his country and is trying to do positive for what he sees as the vast majority of his country and that um, he could be a little green martian but if he's an American citizen and he's trying to help his country, I would vote for him again. Good enough. Thanks for the call. You know, I just see my, my problem is and, and again, you, you need a certain type of mindset and you need a certain type of ego to want to be the leader of the free world and think you can accomplish that. And I guess maybe I just I, I don't have that. I seriously, you know, I want to tell you something. If President Trump is somehow, and this is something for Democrats to think about, if he is somehow able to one way or the other get that wall built, I wonder if that is the impetus for him saying, okay, I have accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. I'm now going to go off and be a senior statesman and leave this to everybody else. I just wonder about that. 228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Thirty-six, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you are of a certain age and you grew up around here, you will remember that there used to be a giant shopping mall on the northwest side of Milwaukee known as Northridge. It ran from, like, think about 76th and Brown Deer and a little bit west. It was built shortly after Southridge was built. Southridge continues to exist as a, as a thriving operation, although it's been going through some struggles. Northridge was a place where when I was a kid, I mean, it was the place that you hung out. I mean, it was this giant shopping mall, multiple levels, had movie theaters, they had restaurants. I mean, and it was... It was the place that, that you went. On a, on a Saturday afternoon, if you were in high school and you didn't have anything to do, that is where you hung out. And th- that's where I hung out. Northridge is no longer there. And Northridge has just been, it's been a blighted area for a long time now. And it was interesting to watch kind of the death spiral of Northridge. 
Northridge got a reputation, fairly or unfairly, as as not being safe. And what happened is you had a lot of suburban women in particular who used to shop there who stopped shopping there because I think of safety concerns. And then what happened is it got into this death spiral because, all right, fewer shoppers. And then so you have stores that started closing. All right, so then as more and more stores started closing, it led to even fewer shoppers. And then it, it's just you're circling the drain because then it, it's just kind of this vicious cycle. Well, okay, there, there's why, why go out to Northridge? Because there's no stores there that people want to shop at. And then since there's nobody shopping, the stores, even more stores end up closing. And ultimately it goes under. Now, again, there was a safety perception, lots of stuff that, that went on. But regardless, you know, Northridge was closed. I grew up in Glendale. My parents lived a couple blocks to the south of Nicolay High School. And and so I, I grew up, I mean, I remember when we moved here when I was like nine years old, you, you could walk over to Bayshore Shopping Center. And, and Bayshore used to be like an L-shaped outdoor glorified strip mall, but it had Sears, it had Boston Store, it had a number of things. But that's there has always been Bayshore. And then what happened is, you went through this whole period where all these malls ended up getting enclosed, and so Bayshore became the Bayshore Mall, and it was like that for a number of years. And then back in, oh gosh, what was it, around 2006 or so, they came up with this idea that here, what we're going to do is we're going to create Bayshore Town Center, where we're going to keep vestiges of, of the old enclosed mall, but it's going to be a lot more than that, and we're going to have apartments and we're going to have all these these shops that are going to be, you know, outside, the, you know, and, and so that that's what they ended up doing. I remember in the beginning, I was a little bit skeptical about this. I was thinking, all right, well, you know, it's Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You have winter time. Are, are people really going to come and, and walk outside to these different stores and such? But I will say this. For the first few years, it was – just a screaming success. And I, I used to live relatively close to, to Bayshore and Whitefish Bay. It, it was it was a screaming success, in part because they they had stores that, that people really wanted to go to. They had and, and still have um, an Apple store. You had you had there was a coach store, there was a banana they had a lot of high end stores or unique stores, and you had Boston store to a lesser extent, you had Sears, but it, it really did it it was a thriving place for a, a number of years, and, and candidly, I, I admit I did not see that. Well, unfortunately, uh, things are not going very well for Bayshore now. They uh, they've been they've been hemorrhaging stores. Um, you know, the Sears thing is gone; that's been torn down. Boston Store is now gone. They, they've lost a number of their uh, big. National tenants, for example, they used to have a sports authority there. That that's gone because sports authority went into bankruptcy. And it seems like every time you you hear a news report or pick up the local newspaper, there's more stores at Bayshore that are closing. America today, the announcement is that American Eagle, which is you know a kind of a high end national retailer that uh, young people shop at primarily. That's closing. Shaw's Jewelers, national chain, that's going to be closing as of Saturday. Restaurants are closing right and left. Uh, home, wood-fired grill, 
which um, is owned by the Surge Group. They're they're closing. The folks that own it decided not to renew their lease. Sprecker's Restaurant and Pub, they announced last week that that was closing. Right now, they're looking at about 35 vacancies and and probably more to come. And as a result of that, you know, you've got these developers that are exploring different alternatives. Let's get away from retail. Let's try to turn some of this into an office building. Let's try to turn more of it into condos, whatever. Glendale has to decide whether it wants to allow that to happen and whether it wants to put money into this. Bottom line of all this, though, is that, and you hope you're wrong. I mean, I I hope I'm wrong about this, but you're starting to get the sense that that Bayshore Town Center is kind of in one of those sort of spirals like Northridge went through, you know, a number of years ago with retailers, you know, pulling out hand over fist, the restaurants leaving. I mean, there's still restaurants that are there, but the retailers pulling out some of, I mean, as long as you've got an Apple store or things like that, there's always going to be stuff that attract people. But you are getting this sense that, there, there is starting to be this this landslide, or at least it starts with sort of a drip, and then the drip gets worse and worse, and ultimately, you know, you have just water cascading. You you wonder if Bayshore is kind of getting to this point a- as well, and you also have to wonder whether or not it's going to be worth whether it's going to not it's going to be worth the taxpayers of Glendale to the community trying to come up with large amounts of money to help bail out the developers and help them do new projects um is Bayshore too big to fail i don't know but it's certainly looking again more like northridge and i want to give them credit because like i say i thought I thought the concept was probably doomed. I did not believe the concept was going to succeed or get off the ground in the first place. I I was wrong, and and they had a really good run. But right now, there's really tough times, and I I don't know what the magic bullet is, but retail not looking good right now for Bayshore Town Center. Let's take a very quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about something going on with the local newspaper and then drunk driving. Stick around. 246, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, uh, Bayshore Town Center, eh, not, not necessarily good, at least the way it's straight shaping up right now. Interesting report involving the, the local newspaper. Now, let, let's review the bidding. For years and years and years, we here at WTMJ shared a corporate identity with uh, the, the local newspaper. It was all part of journal communications, and one division was the newspaper, and then one division was Journal Broadcast Group, which was the radio and TV entities. few years back, uh, Journal Communications essentially split off the newspaper from the broadcast facilities, and we were purchased, we, radio and TV, not just locally, but all the different properties that the company owned, were purchased by Scripps Broadcasting. All right? So it's Scripps on the media, on the electronic media side, and the newspaper shortly after that split, was purchased by Gannett, which is big newspaper company. USA Today is probably their, the most prominent sort of publication, but they they own um, a, a number of newspapers across the across the country, the Arizona Republic, et cetera, et cetera, um, Naples Daily News in Florida, Journal Sentinel, et cetera. So Gannett bought the newspaper operation and now runs the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel in addition to a a number of other newspaper properties. Meanwhile, 
ultimately what happened in the electronic media side is scripts kept the TV stations and then sold the radio stations off to Good Karma. So I'm at least in Milwaukee. So I work for, for Good Karma Brands, which, by the way, is just a really good company so far. That's been my that has been my experience. But anyhow, the newspaper is owned by Gannett. The big story today is that there's a hedge fund operator. Um, It's actually, it's called Digital First Media, but it's really like a hedge fund operator, and they are offering to buy Gannett for $12 a share. It's no secret, and this isn't unique to the local newspaper, that that, newspapers have been hurting for a number of, of years. The internet has really changed the complete dynamic with how newspapers do business. And what you have is it used to be newspaper revenue was derived from the, the, the sale of the newspapers, you know, the people that, that buy the newspapers, have it delivered on a daily basis, and then classified advertising and then print advertising. And, and those were – that's what made newspapers profitable. Well, there's – nobody classified ads anymore. I mean, it, it just – that that's – you know, it used to be that the Sunday newspaper had three sections of classified ads. Well, there, there's very little classified advertising now. You know, people still advertise some in print media, but nowhere near as much as they used to. And uh, what's been happening is that the number of people who read hard copies of newspapers has been going down dramatically. There are lots of folks who who still maybe have digital subscriptions but that's a fraction of the number of that's a fraction of the revenue that you used to generate from you know the uh, purchasing a print copy so it's a really really lot, tough time for newspapers and i understand there's other people who will say well it, partly it's the you know the content and that type of stuff maybe but the bottom line is it's it's a tough the, the economy has changed and just like Blockbuster Video used to be a license to print money, and just like VHS machines, you know, people, everybody, they were flying off the shelves. Newspapers used to be a license to print money, not so much anymore. So anyhow, you've got Gannett, which owns the Journal Sentinel, and they own USA Today. There is this digital-first media company, which, again, it's it's a sort of a hedge fund operator. They've put in to buy a, a bid, a hostile takeover, to buy Gannett. Right now, the Gannett stock is about nine seventy-five a share, nine dollars and seventy-five cents. They're offering twelve dollars a share, so they're offering a premium. Now, how how the board of directors responds to it, you know, who, who knows? Typically, they fight these type of hostile takeovers, but but you don't know. But here's why this is significant, particularly in areas like this. This particular company that's making the offer to buy Gannett, they have. They have a history and a track record of slashing costs at their media investments through layoffs and the use of what's called zero-based budgeting, which requires an operator to justify expenses each year. You got $50,000 for this last year. Well, okay, tell me why you need $50,000 next year, but also slashing costs, which means layoffs. Now, if you look at what's been going on in the newspaper industry, you might kind of scratch your head and say, well, geez, you know, a lot of times when the newspapers come out, there's nothing to it. Uh, They used to have these huge staffs of reporters at various papers. They're they're not there anymore. How could you slash any more? Well, that's a fair, I, I think, question to raise. But that's the history of what this company is. So... You know, bottom line, 
who knows where this is going to go. But for a local newspaper that's already taken a lot of hits as far as layoffs of reporters and cutbacks of various coverage and things like that, news of something like this, if it were to go through, if it were to go through, would not be good. And, you know, it would be another kind of shot across the bow of, of again, reporters and people who are out there trying to bring news and information to all the rest of us. I, You know, you don't know how it's going to play out, but just like Bayshore Town Center, you know, going through different changes brought on by the economy and brought on by, you know, the Internet. I mean, let's face it, brick-and-mortar retailers nowadays have have a much tougher go of it given the fact that you don't have to go to the local bookstore and see if they have a book that you're looking for in stock. You can just go to Amazon, you put in the title, and chances are they have it. And if you're an Amazon Prime member, you've got it 48 hours later. That's that's the dynamic that's out there, and it's changed retail. And, of course, the Internet has dramatically changed the way that people consume their news um, saying, hey, I don't need a copy of the newspaper anymore. Yeah, I'm willing to pay a couple bucks, you know, to, to be able to access the websites, but I don't need to pay $400 to get the newspaper delivered seven days a week. And that ends up taking its toll and be interesting to see how this all plays out. But this is a potentially big story. If Gannett were, whether it's hostile takeover or negotiated settlement or whatever, if they were to be taken over, it would be a big deal for, I think, the newspaper industry and particularly a, a big deal for Milwaukee. All right, it is 2.53. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Greg and Melissa have on their minds. Please stick around. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.